production. Hello, A Life of Greatness listeners. I wanted to let you know about my private Facebook group called Live Your Life Greatly. It's a space for our community of like-minded people to share their wisdom, discuss the content in this episode and give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To join, search Live Your Life Greatly in Facebook groups. You can also join me on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg. We have some very exciting announcements and giveaways. Plus, we also post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. To join my community, search Sarah Grimberg on Instagram. Taryn Toomey is the CEO and founder of The Class, a fitness method and practice of self-study through physical conditioning that incorporates cardio, meditation, yoga and music. Through Taryn's own deep self-inquiry, we turn to her to help us understand the puzzle of being ourselves, of rising to our best capacities and gifts in all of our complexity and strangeness. In this heartfelt exchange, Taryn opens up to me about her own personal journey, the complexity of the human experience and the joys of sharing your gifts. If you lean into your practices, if you have a practice, a daily practice of some sort, mine was the class and my morning sit as well, you will know what you need to know when you need to know it. It saved my life. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Taryn Toomey both embodies and inspires innate human powers in a world in which her voice and vision feel as resonant as ever before. In its essence, this conversation is about the power of community and following your soul's purpose to drive positive cultural change. It's about the ability to dream big and about the freedom and power of being you. May this episode inspire you to step out of your comfort zone and into your best, most fulfilled life. Taryn Toomey, you are the founder of the class and we're going to deep dive into that today. But take us back to the beginning. How was your childhood and how did you get from being a young child to embodying what you do today with the class? What an interesting question. That is not what people usually ask. They say, how did you create the class? And my mind goes into 9,000 spaces because it wasn't as if I sat down and decided to create something. You know, it probably started in utero. And I had a very challenging um, childhood in the buckets of neglect and abandonment and abuse and all of the unsafe feelings that you hope to not feel as a young child. Grew up in a bunch of different homes. There was a lot of projection. And, you know, I I often don't go into this part of the story because I always have a hesitation around making anything come across that something happened to me. So I, you know, did something with it. And then you go and you talk about the person that did the thing, you know, so I always kind of tread lightly. Um, But that's the truth of what had happened. And um, in my teens, I realized that I was having a lot of these 
and this is all in reflection, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, just so many voices that were so mean and they were constant inside that they just never let up. And the internal and external worlds always felt a little bit um, imbalanced to me. So from an early age, I was always just trying to find what made me feel like I was able to self-regulate my thoughts. And I found that that was movement when I would go for a run, when I would play sports, when I would do something out outdoors, anything. I would hop around in the yard when I was however old um, and listen to music. I used to listen to Enya when I would fall asleep or anything that I could put on that would just bring some sort of sensation um, into my body that allowed me to breathe, right? So I knew those things early on. Um, I then moved out of the home I was living in when I was 18. I started working in a couple different jobs, still always craving movement. Um, started teaching step aerobics in Florida when I was 18. I remember being in the gym and there was this um, man named Saul that was there. And I really just wanted to learn how to teach this step aerobics class. And this one, Holly, that was the head there was like, she doesn't have any training. She, there's nothing, I don't, you know, we can't do anything with this. And, and he said, just give her a chance. There's like something interesting about her. And um, he said that to me. And then she said that to me. And then she said, I'll take you into my wing. So she trained me. And I started teaching step aerobics in tandem, started working in some stores, some retail stores, um, ended up working in a store down in Florida that transferred me up to out to the Hamptons, to East Hampton. I didn't even know what the Hamptons were at the time. I thought it was just a place in New York City, but um, went up there, started working um, in this store, was really, really unhappy, went to another Hampton to find another job. And I was sitting on a park bench and the woman that worked at Ralph Lauren was getting off, saw me applying for a job, walked in the store. She ended up saying, would you like to work here? We need very short-term help for two months. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, this would be wonderful. And the whole reason uh, I, I had applied for a job in the Ralph Lauren store in Florida and, and they turned me away at the door and then ended up somewhere else. So it was just a funny story that now I'm up in the Hamptons and that's happening. So, uh, Fast forward a couple years, worked for them for a long time, moved to New York City uh, to work in their corporate office and just climb the corporate ladder. Um, spent a lot of time there running to my workout after after um, work, just like off the desk at six. I know it was never a good look, but I needed it. And I always found myself craving the movement of my day. That was it. And that was just like this internal kind of moment that I'd always flagged. Like there's something to this for me, at least the way my mechanism, my instruments made up. Um, and then from there, I went to Dior for a couple months, was really just unhappy in general. Um, so decided to do a teacher training program for yoga with a woman named Allison West. I had a lot of vinyasa in my body, a lot of flow, and she was much more alignment based, um, did a deep dive with her with the intent that I would um, move back to uh, potentially go back to Ralph Lauren and the door was left open over there. Um, my husband at the time, my ex-husband, let's call it what it is. Um, first time I probably said that live, but uh, ended up getting transferred to Boston right after I finished teacher training. So instead of uh, instead of going back to a corporate job, I said, okay, let me just keep teaching yoga. And during this whole period of time, 
I'd gone back and forth to Peru a couple of times. I'd really been diving into my own inner work, my own. Um, it, it's so funny because I want to identify like a person, a thing I studied with, but it was just so much of like life, you know, experiencing life and reflecting on my day and journaling and moving my body and examining where different thoughts and feelings may have come from that weren't my own, that didn't feel like my original essence, but felt like someone else's voice. So I always felt that. Um, when I went down to Peru, I met a really wonderful woman. Her name was Mama Kia. Uh, she was really the first pass to me at what it felt like to have a, a mother figure or someone that you know had unconditional love. She had created a children's home down in Peru um, and adopted 25 children by the end. Uh, she had uh, several of her own biological children, but um, she ended up passing away. And when I spent time with her down there, and a couple of different times that I was down there, I started working with a lot of different plant medicines. You know, this is in my, in my 20s. So I would go down and I remember I would come back and I would never tell anyone because, you know, it's 20 years ago. People thought that that was like insane to be doing these kind of odd plant medicine ritual ceremonial kind of things. But, you know, I shouldn't say people did. I don't like generalizations, but at least when I would come home, who I would speak to about it would take the feeling away from me by being alarmed, you know? So I ended up, um, she ended up passing away and um, that's a whole other story. And I had just had my first daughter six months earlier and I went to the local yoga studio. I just moved back to New York. I went to the local yoga studio to ask if I could teach a donation-based class um, in honor of her because it was a studio that I had met her through. And they said, yes, of course, you know, this would be a wonderful idea and all these things. And I was so like, all right, who cares if it's like, you know, $20 a class, it doesn't matter. At least there's something to keep her spirit alive, to donate to her children that are now twice orphaned and just as a way to heal and to help heal. And, you know, I waited for about four months. I was going back and forth with the studio around when and how. And I remember sitting um, on a Tuesday morning in a 9 a.m. class and the teacher at the end of class had said, so the schedule's now out for the next six months. So uh, you can find it at the front desk. And I just had this pit in my stomach that um, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I thought I was going to teach this class for Mama Kia. And so I emailed a couple times and, you know, it was just a little back and forth, nothing, you know, bad, but just didn't work. And I decided to just start teaching what is now the class in my building to a couple friends and ask them to just donate money to our children at the end of every month. And that's really how the class started. So um, I taught it for almost two years with no name in my building, just really building this community. Um, for me, when I would teach yoga, I loved the movie meditation and the breath aspect of it. There were components of it that felt um, challenging for me when, when you could feel that, that uh, an instructor was just saying something they had read and it wasn't something that was an experience that came through them. So I always just would notice things that kind of, you know, created some dissonance in me or that resonated with me. And as I started moving in this way with the class, it's music, which is really something that moves me. I think it's such a co-creation, mm. what we do in the past with music. We never speak over the instructor or the, the musician. You allow their essence to come through and you use their words. And then you kind of interplay with what you're saying based on what you're doing. So the curation of the, the playlist is super important. Um, and then after about two years, 
things got a little bit um, disorganized down where we were sending the money. Uh, I realized that I'd hit a capacity where I couldn't fit any more people. It was like this kind of strange fitness where people would have to know someone to email someone to know, like, not because it was set up in some like way of like, you have to know, but just, I did, I, was, there was just, come on over. You, yes. Oh, you, you have an extra spot. You can come. Yeah, sure. All we ask is to, you know, send some money to this link at the end of the month. So then it outgrew itself. Um, I went to a kid's dance studio around the corner. Uh, this is eight years ago now. So this is before they had all the great incubators where you can kind of create something and, and ideate on it. Um, and I asked if I could rent to classes or two times thoughts a week. And the woman said, yes, we got so many noise complaints. We were banging out the like the music and people were in there making sound. And, you know, I met this incredible woman named Natalie Kuhn. Um, she ended up becoming the, my first uh, employee and we just kind of started building it from there. Um, that was eight years ago. Uh, but that's really the kind of minutia of how I got, you know, to bringing the class out with a name, the class, um, there's stories in those stories in those stories, but, um, yeah, I guess that's a good story. That's a wonderful story. You have talked about before, and I think is such a beautiful thing that you found this big connection to spirit and you can tell that it embodies everything in the class. What part of your childhood or adolescence did you feel that that connection was real? It's an interesting question. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I think it must have always been there. My mom and dad got divorced when I was young. I went to a Presbyterian church. When my parents separated, my mom had picked up, um, she started practicing Buddhism and would chant every single morning and night and do all these different types of um, practices with her gohanzin and I remember watching her wow. early on and I can tell I could tell that she was doing something I couldn't figure out what it was right and that was the mind the mind wanted to know but you could feel that there was a you know the repetition in the room and the energy and the vibrational quality the issue that I would have during that time is that I could feel that she was channeling from a place of anger mm. I could see it in her eyes and it created a lot of fear in me because I knew this strange duality or polarity of seeing someone connecting to a higher power, divine, call it whatever mm. you will, call it, you know, a, a tree or a cloud or a plastic or divine or God or Buddha, whatever it is, you know, I could see it, but I could tell that the, the, the energy behind it was one that was incredibly low vibrational, Right. So it made me scared. Yes. And I remember that feeling. And then I went to, um, started going to a Catholic church and um, it never resonated with me, that type of organized religion, but I did respect the practice of these things, you know, but I think at the end of the day, you have to figure out what resonates with you and, you know, stay close to that as opposed to the projection of the, what the world's kind of organizations uh, inject or project into you. Um, otherwise it's just not going to be sustainable, right? You'll be exhausted and feel all of, you know, things that are not yours. But, um, I always found myself praying a lot at night. Mm. I don't know who I was praying to, but I remember as a young child, um, I didn't want to pray the prayers that were given to me. 
Um, it was just whatever it was that was, um, you know, wanting, wanting to move through that night. And I always felt this sense of being held and guided by something that was not in the third dimensional realm. It was not in the flesh. It's very hard to describe, right? And it's an interesting question because I think in a lot of these types of practices, anything that has to do with spirit, anything that's not in the you know, 3D form, in order to experience it, you really do have to have had your own personal experience with it. So it can imprint on it, you know? Um, so there was just, you know, a lot of that when I was young, I remember just feeling into those spaces. Um, I do think a lot of the seeds that were, were planted um, for what the class is in terms of working in the idea of holding space for one another in a collective while having an own, your own individual experience um, started when I first started um, sitting in ceremony down in Peru. You know, you can allow somebody next to you to be having a cathartic experience and you don't have to turn to them and put your hands on them and say, you're going to be okay. Yeah. You know, but you can allow them to have it while you hold a space in the room while everyone is working into this idea that there is something that is so much bigger than us that you can connect to. If you work on that connection, you know, how you spend your time is important. And for me, that's what I, I really have tried to move into more and more as I get older and older is I, I refer to it as divine, mm. but to spend time with divine, with the divine or the archangel ancestral realm or whatever it is you call it, but to make time to spend time. Yes. Right. And I think that's how you personally, it's all just from personal, um, my personal share, but uh, that's how you understand what it is. Um, it can't really be taught to you or told to you. People can light the yes. way having the experiences in yourself. And honestly, there's a lot of alignment that happens when you start doing that. You know, it's yes. like things to show up. You know, those times when you're like, can you believe that happened? Well, your story is like riddled with synchronicities when you talk about everything that's happened in your life thus far. Uh, it's, I, I, there's so, even something that happened to me on Monday, it's just, it, you just, you can't make it up, you know? Yes. You have to watch for the cues and the signals and, you know, it's, um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, absolutely, I, I agree in the sense that my most sacred time is in the morning when I meditate. And I know when one of my teachers said that time with the divine is just your time. And when you show up every day, the divine knows that you're showing up every day to be with it. And I've just always remembered that. And when I go into my meditation, I think how sacred is this? that we get to spend time together and just go into this silent space. That is by far my favourite time of the day to just be silent and just be in that sacred, sacred space. And I totally agree. You have to have had your own occurrence in life to really know what that feels like. And it can be something little, but we can explain it. But when you actually have that connection and it could be through a prayer or some sort of synchronicity or divine intervention, you know without a doubt that that, that realm is real. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, and I do think what you were saying about having this daily time that you make as for a sacred spiritual practice is important because I, I oftentimes see people getting a little bit hooked up in the idea that, you know, well, I prayed for three days and the thing didn't happen or, you know, you, you can, I always throw around different words because I think that word logos have so much different meanings and trigger so many different things in yes. people. So prayer or speaking or whatever you want to call it. Right. But, um, offerings even, you know, um, it's that, that idea that happens where you think that you are in a surrender to something, right? You're, I'm, I'm releasing my force around willing this thing to happen. That's not happening. And it's probably not happening because it's not aligned for me. Right. And it becomes unsustainable. You become exhausted. Nothing works out. Every time you turn the corner, there's a no, right? So you, you go and you say, I'm going to pick up a practice and I'm going to start doing this thing. And then you do it three or four times and something doesn't immediately show up. And then there's all of the, see, see, you know, and it's like, no, that was actually saying that you're offering something up and then waiting for the thing that you asked for to happen right yes that's the expectation you know we were talking about that a little bit before that's not uh that's not the same thing it's different it's not better or worse good or bad it's just not the same thing right the the true humility of being able to say i do not know please show me Mm. as opposed to saying if you just give me this thing and this, if you just make this thing happen, you just make this relationship work or you make this pain go away. I promise that I will not do that thing again. Right. That's different. Yes, absolutely. It's the whole, it's, it's just asking for guidance to, to be shown the way forward. It's, it's knowing that we're not alone. And when there are times where we might be frightened or sad that, there's this there's this world that we can't see that is around us always and 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 when you know that you'll never be lonely i mean that idea of never being lonely is such a new one to me mm. because i and we that could be a whole other 6 hour long podcast but i've started to realize that that spending time with the divine or in silence and you think that someone is not you know watching well you're watching right you're bearing witness to yourself taking this space and the divine shows up right the beautiful relationship that you can have with yourself when you stop engaging with the world in a way where you're waiting for them to validate you or you're doing something because you want the response of validation. Even look at social media these days, you know, these dopamine hits or these things that are not real, like they're, they're hits, right? They're, they do the thing and it's so immediate, right? It's like, I think that's half the problem with some of these practices is that the, you know, it's it's the inconvenient truth of it is that you have to practice and have a consistent practice. But um, when you start to spend time with yourself I I always heard that word self-worth and it bothered me. It was like self-love. I just, for some reason was like, as if it's that easy, you know, it was that energy. And it's a newer thing for me that 
I realized that I actually like spending time with myself. I was on a, the first time that I really had a conversation with myself was last October when I was out of town. And I remember just saying things to myself like, all right, T, what's up? Like, what do you like? What do you like to talk about? Like, what are some of your favorite things to do? And I was laughing at myself. I was like, la, 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 la. And I was like, this is a great relationship because I can call myself out. I don't really have to have the feedback. I don't have to have whatever it is. And I can start to create this, this idea of who I am in myself without the projections of the world, without handing over my self-worth to the world. Because if you hand it out and you're waiting for the validation, you're, you're giving the world the space. You're giving them the power to define who you are. Yes. And that's the, the thing that it's like, that's what that sacred time is, right? Getting close to yourself. So it's okay if people love you and hate you. I, I, that was another phrase that used to get really frustrating for me. It's like, yeah, okay, great, but it hurts. But, you know, and then it's like immune to praise, immune to criticism. It's all people can have their own idea because you possibly just don't resonate with someone, which is actually what the whole class method is. It's that when I first started teaching, people were saying, there's no way you can do anything with this method. And I was like, pause. I can feel into people. It's a strange empathic quality that I have where I have an interesting instinct. I think a lot of us have certain instincts and there's, for whatever it is, it's again, not good, bad, right, wrong. It's just different. And I knew that if I could find other human beings that could that were on a path of understanding their own divinity, their own self-worth, and having used their these kind of challenging times to learn, grow, evolve, and then use the wisdom they've learned through this movement practice, it could grow in a way that would be so much more powerful because I don't resonate with everyone. Yeah. I probably, some people are probably around me and I repel them, right? So being able to have different people. So the, the essence of the class is, you know, if it's just, if it's, if you're using discernment, if you're walking into something and, and something in you says, whoa, 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 this doesn't resonate with me. And you still take it on and make it yours. That's what's going to cause the dis-ease and the disease and all the things, right? So understanding how to properly express and discard and dislodge through the physical body, the home in which you live in. Um, So that way you can, go into a deeper space of listening and connection, which is not the mind, right? The mind is where the imbalances live. Yes. The soul is not imbalanced. It's no. the mind. The mind creates the imbalance, right? Well, the soul is whole. The soul is always whole. It is the body that can be the bit that is a bit broken. The soul is never not complete. And then the mind yes. gets... The- from the world and all of the things that we must have and must do and I need more things so that way I feel more worthy and it's all the external and then it's the mind you're in the mind you're not in the soul and I think a lot of times that's that's the the interesting thing about some of these practices is that you can think you're in your soul Mm. or you can think you're in your surrender or you can think you're in your offering but you're just thinking right and that's a lot also what the class helps people understand that. We, so I'll give you a little bit of a, a download of what goes on in right. the class. 
it's you stand on your feet or a mat. You can be in a chair if you want. You, you can lay down and breathe if you want. But but the the kind of standard class, it's mat based, music driven, sixty minutes long. We have an express class that's forty five minutes. You begin every class with your hands on your body. The eyes can be closed or not. I like to offer that so you can take out the external feedback. You begin to breathe. You feel your feet in the floor and you notice your mind. What is it currently thinking, right? You can even do it now hearing me think, you know, or hearing me um, share. Your mind is an organ. It creates thought. It's just doing its job, right? It has its survival function. It has all these different functions. Great, let's just observe thought as we notice breath. Breath is the anchor. Then the first song comes on and you start to move. You repeat one movement for an entire song. So you'll usually start with a long song of squats and it's on the beat. So there's a rhythm in there. So there's a presence in there and there's a beat in there and there's a one and a one. And you observe how many times your mind changes shape and how many stories it starts to create to try to get you out of the feeling. Mm. The feeling's uncomfortable, and the feeling is also strength and change. So we work that way throughout the entire class, and there's a specific arc and kind of architecture in which we work that, that goes, first song is contraction, and then you'll work into a longer song of contraction. You get really frustrated. This is when you can invite the student in. If you're frustrated and you'd like to give that frustration a voice, you're welcome to do so. And because the music is so loud, yeah. you can't even really hear yourself. So you'll be squatting down and up and the elbows will move back. And are you frust- You know, what are you feeling? What are you noticing? The teacher's not telling you anything. The teacher's inviting you, mm. inviting questions in the room. And then you can start to, uh, uh, you know, and you get the feeling out of the body. And once you've started releasing a bit, you realize you have more space, more space for your breath. Now you're like, you're embodied. You're in your body, right? And then you move through a whole other series of contraction series. You do a long push-up series, a long butt move, a long round of burpees. And all of these things are, are, are made to create this feedback loop. You don't want to do it or you do. There's a big difference between resistance an injury. Yes. If you're working with injury, take care of yourself. If it's resistance, let's get into the presence. Let's bring in one beat at a time. Follow the breath in, follow the breath out. And in there, you're tolerating the sensations that come with change as your self-actualizing choice. You can stop at any time, right? And then you stop. And then there's stillness. And then there's hands on the body. And then you notice the thought cadence again. And you'll notice how many times it changes. So there's a lot of stillness in the class as well. At the very end, um, there's a lot of shaking practices, like just freestyle, like just get the body moving. And then a heart opening series where we access the the, the physical heart and the sacred heart. Um, that's oftentimes when people will have a bit of a cathartic response or an emotional response, just realizing um, the, the release of some of this dissonance and the, and the heaviness and the density and the, and the lower uh, vibrational thinking of shame and blame and doubt and guilt and um, and then we, you know, release it and then lay for a bit in uh, a stretch and then close the meditation practice and then you're on with your day. So that's really the bones. I was telling you offline that I have done the practice a number of times online in Australia, obviously, and I didn't know so much about it before I did it. And I remember I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this first thing in the morning. And I was in a bit of a bad mood, but that happens. 
And I did it. And like I said, I had really not spoken to anyone else about their experience with it. And there was a point, it was when we kind of had stopped for a bit and I, and I was feeling my heart and it was going like 100 miles an hour because I was obviously working out. And I just started to cry and I thought, oh my God, this has really affected me quite emotionally. And not till I started doing research on you did I realise that was a common experience. And I was like, oh wow, that actually happens to a lot of people. But it was so beautiful. Like I love that part of it and it really moved me. And I thought this class has soul in it and it's it's just so different to any of the other online kind of practices that you could do from a physical perspective because it just incorporates so much beauty in it. And I think for someone like me and a lot of people that listen to this podcast, I mean, what a beautiful way to start your day, to divide up your day or to end your day, to have a practice like this that you can do so easily in your own house. I mean, like you said, all you need is a mat. I know that you are kind of combining some classes with weights and stuff, but really, like, you don't need anything. It's so easy to do. And it's, I say this with absolute pure honesty, it is it is beautiful. It is really, it's cathartic and it it really, like it blew me away how wonderful it was because you do get that workout. Like like I do personal training and boxing and all that kind of stuff and I was like, wow, my heart is, is really like pounding fast. Like this is, for someone that does work out, this is, this has shown me that this is a decent workout. And the next day I was sore in a good way. I was like, wow, like I've obviously used muscles that I haven't used when I've been doing other weights or other bits and pieces. So it is unbelievably phenomenal. And something you touched on earlier, which is, I mean, my favourite thing is the music. I am obsessed with music. I always have been. And I think most people are. And the way that you incorporate the music is so good and you just have the best artists as well. Can you talk to us a bit of, I know you spoke about it a little bit, but again, how you choose those playlists because it goes quite intense, the music, when we need to kind of build up the activity and then it comes down so beautifully as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the music is a huge component. I, I like you, uh, I'm very moved by what you know, feeling through the senses of sound and what that does for the physical body. So when you're putting the body in motion with that, it's a, you know, pretty, can be pretty powerful. But the, the, the main thing with the class is that it's super important to get the student to understand they have a choice. Don't do any of it or do all of it, yeah. right? And creating a container in the physical body to say like, this is my body and I have a choice. Nobody has to tell me what to do. So often you start with music that allows you to just feel into the breath that has a really kind of, clear beat that gets you in your body, gets some heat moving through all of the things. Then you start to build up a little bit, right? And then you come back down a bit, a little bit more, and then come back down a little bit. It's kind of like childbirth, like how childbirth was for me, right? You go through a contraction and then you stabilize for a little bit and then it goes again and then you stabilize. So you're slowly building. It's almost what you were saying. You, you might have not realized you were going to be sore the next day because you're so focused on this kind of present embodiment, feeling yourself, what's going on in each moment. That's at least what yeah. the teacher's supposed to be guiding one to do. And then there's songs in there that have some 
ugh, right? So if one is feeling the need to get something out of them, you know you have a place or a practice that you can bring it. Mm. So then you'll bring that kind of, uh, and then you get quiet. And the quiet after the larger swells of expressive feeling is because you notice how you feel after you've expressed, right? So you're actually, you're, you're learning by doing. Okay, I got that thing out. Oh, gosh, I feel so much clearer or I feel so much more emotional or wow, there's some tears under that anger that need to move and I'm going to let it move. And it's not because somebody's like cry. It's because they've shown up. I'm safe in my body. I feel like I have a choice. I'm going to let this pass through me. Yes. And to me, that's healing, you know, when one can do it for themselves like Absolutely. that. Um, yeah. But the, so the, the build, the build, the build, and then the kind of drop, um, with moments of stillness after some of the big, big flushes, just get the student back in, back in their body, um, especially because oftentimes the teacher is saying that you can bring something up, right? Something that's gone on. So you want to make sure that you're keeping all the students embodied and with choice. So you're not triggering them into something that's not yes. a place that they want or feel comfortable going. Um, and then, you know, the heart opening at the end is just very kind of I've always been, I look back at journals when I was as little as I can remember. It was always about the heart. I've always, always, it's all about the heart for me, you know, and the soul and the heart, you know, and, and, and the movement and the community and the, and the understanding how to hold space for people and not use one another to, to get your stuff out on them, but we can, we can be in a room together, releasing and turning over the stuff, but not at someone, you know, so um, and then to do that with music, it's like, you know, so, and then, yeah. And then the end, we seal it up with some very kind of relaxing, calming, uh, put the nervous system back together and leave with the, you know, rest and repose parasympathetic system engaged. So you can move on into the world. It's so beautiful. I notice a lot that you, you put your hand on your chest and it, I find it so comforting every time you do that. How does it make you feel when you do that? Have I done that this podcast? <laughs> but also I noticed when I was watching a lot of your videos, you do that a lot and because you wear those beautiful tops that you can see a lot of, you know, your gorgeous chest. But it seems yeah. like you just, even when you're doing it, I feel comforted by you doing it. Yeah, I. it's so funny that you say that because my oldest daughter does that a lot where she taps her chest when she, when somebody's saying something. And I laughed with her last year, but I said, Letty, you're so funny how you tap your chest like that. When, when somebody's saying something that matters and she says, it just feels right, mama, mm. you know? So I don't know, I guess it's just an intuitive thing. It maybe reminds me of my own presence or it, maybe it, um, if I think into it as opposed to feel it, um, maybe it's just an intuitive action to allow somebody else that's with me to feel safe with me. It's very soothing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know why or where that came from, but um, it probably means a lot of things, you know, a nod to safety, a nod mm. to presence, a nod to myself that I'm there, um, a nod to kindness. Yeah. Uh, that we all have a heart who knows I mean yeah. <laughs> it is I, I feel like it's a beautiful safe thing like when I've seen you do it when you're taking a class it's I don't know it's just this like you're safe we're all safe here it's, it's a sacred space that I'm holding for you all to be safe now yeah 
yes, 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 and yes. Yeah. How important is the breath? Because I know that that is also a big part of the class and something that you obviously have used, well, we all use it, but has been a big part of your life from doing yoga and all your other, your other bits and pieces over the years. Well, I've found that when you're not consciously breathing, you're usually thinking. Yeah. So, or the mind is bored or something's happening in those um, lanes of the, the mind. So if nothing else for the entire class, you practice an hour of breathing in, following the breath in, breathing out, following the breath out, you're getting present, right? I mean, that's where we are. So if nothing else, that's one of the most powerful anchors. So there's that. And then there's also the idea that when you're not connected to the breath or you're panting or there's something that's going on that's a little bit more fight or flight or sympathetic nervous system, that's a sign to pull back, right? And everything that we do in class, we say, can relate to everything you do in life, right? If you're not, if you're doing something where your nervous system is is really kicked up and you can't get into a consistent breath to bring yourself into your presence, pull back a notch so it can become sustainable. So your evolution can become sustainable, right? Otherwise, you're just going to give up. So. The breath is the anchor. The breath is the guide to know where you are in terms of crossing over an edge mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to hang out in a space of discomfort, knowing that there's an evolutionary component that's taking taking place that's done through you by you. It can only be done through you by you. Um, and then I view the breath when we couple it with sound as a release of whatever the energy is in the body. So in the class, if you're working through something, some days you come in and you're filled with joy and you want to laugh around and you dance around and you're laughing. Some days you're not making sound at all, but some days you really have to get something out. And what we'll do is we'll guide the student into the space in their body that they're feeling that thing. Right. So that's a lot, a lot of where the silence comes in. Like, so if you bring something up, a feeling, an experience that happened, where do you feel it in your body? And then you feel into it and you bring the breath back in. And then as the movement starts again and the music starts again, you stay focused on the space that you feel it. And then the teacher will say things like, and what sound would that feeling make? Mm-hmm. So now you're... <sighs> you know, so the exhale... And the breath is now with a bit of kind of reverberating quality to it. So it's shaking into the inside of the physical body, the space in which you reside. Mm. And you open up the windows, you're, you're shaking out the blanket, you know, you're cleaning out the inside of the home. So it has those three components to it, but it's, you know, it's the key. It's, it really is. It's the anchor. How has the class changed your life? <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's, it saved my life, <laughs> truly. You know, I, I mean, it's changed my life in so many ways that I, I, I don't even know which one to pick up. Um, it's given me community. It's shown me that I'm not this worthless, shame-filled child that still gets kicked up and likes to, you know, get really active in me sometimes it has um 
one of the main things that I realized when I reflect on the class is my daughter was six months old and I was determined to not have them experience the same conditioning that I knew was in me and could easily be reprogrammed into the next generation. So I feel like it's changed my life um, in ways that have been incredibly painful. Um, they've made me wake up to things that never really felt like they were part of who I was at my core, not who I thought I was supposed to be or what made you fit in or, you know, liked. Um, and because of that, I've had to make some very, very challenging, hard decisions in my life um, that I've moved through with a lot of grace and a lot of tears and a lot of grief. Um, when I reflect on all of those moments, I know that it was that part of my soul's evolution. And it looks like this. You realize something's not really feeling like you anymore or a part of you, right? It's more about the soul. It's less about what the mind is thinking. And then you start to ask questions, why, what? And then you start to seek a bit. And I would always take it to the class, mm. always take it to the class, uh, other teachers' classes, my classes. And it just started helping me answer some questions by things showing up for me, signs, signals, keep going. This is aligned, you know, in, in the mm. 3D world. Um, and in those spaces, it's, it's, you know, I've had to make some very, very, very challenging choices, but the class, which has taught me how to tolerate, um, discomfort when you're in a space of change and evolution, what, you know, transcendence of time and all of that feels like when you're in these places of moving into the next evolutionary state of your soul, um, it's very challenging and, uh, if you lean into your practices, if you have a practice, a daily practice of some sort, mine was the class and my morning um, sit as well. Um, you will know what you need to know when you need to know it. You know, it's like, it's an interesting, uh, it's, uh, it saved my life. <laughs> How do you find stepping into the unknown? Wow, I mean, It's an interesting thing when I hear people say stepping into the unknown because that always feels like an action to me. <laughs> it's like I'm You're just walking stepping. over there. There's the unknowns to the right. Yeah. Over here. You know, but I, you know, I've never had a, um, I've never had a fear of dying. Yeah, I've never had a fear of, um, kind of some of these these more like normal fear based structures. Um, the unknown to me through the years of this work is really where the infinite possibilities yeah. live, right? Innovation and creation and co-creation and all of this kind of stuff. So it, it doesn't feel scary to me. Mm. What feels scary to me is the idea that I am going to be carrying around a broken heart inside my body for the rest of my time here. Mm. So, you know, stepping into the unknown, it's, we, we, none of us know, you know, yeah. none of us. That's the, the, the only thing we know is that we have no idea. Yeah. Well, it is um, the field of all possibilities when you step into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. And step into it with a, with not an expectation that's based on what you think that you need to know or should be, 
but just with an openness around this idea of being in co-creation with things that, you know, are on the side of humanity and better the collective while showing up within your own self, taking personal accountability and responsibility individually while doing it collectively. Like, so for me, that's where the infinite possibilities of the unknown, you know, where they, if, if we keep all doing this work and stay together, showing up individually and collectively, like, so the unknown doesn't scare me that much. Um, that much, you know, there's, there's certain things, of course, that I'm, I, I would say to myself, it would be sad for me at the end of, you know, life. If there was, um, if I lived my whole life still feeling, um, this sense of um, kind of longing for something um, or carrying around this this sense of shame that was never mine, right? But I do also believe and feel and sense and know that that's always going to be a part of me. It just has a different residence inside of me, yes. you know? Uh, it's not like the things are just one and done. We get so impatient with these things. Like, I want to know. Yeah. If they've, you know, but then honestly, if we even knew, would you even want to know? No. No. Do you really want the teacher to be like, okay, so this is like November rain and we're going to do it for eight minutes? No. No, absolutely not. (laughs) And then all the other things, you know, you don't really want to know. Taryn, what's been your most mystical experience? I'll I'll tell a funny story. Um, I went went to this um, thing in California two months ago and I packed some of my most sacred belongings for it, you know, my journals and it was a two day thing. And it was just, an, you know, something that I was really looking forward to. So you pack all of your special things and um, my bag got left behind and um, it ended up being found and then UPS shipped it and UPS lost it and it was gone for two months. Nobody could find it. And I was heartbroken because yeah. it had a lot of my like, you know, jewelry that people that have passed away have given me and, uh, you know, things that mattered that yes. were irreplaceable. I was going through so many experiences around just letting it, you know, letting it go and letting it go and what it meant. And like how many times you move through your house and you say things like, um, oh my gosh, I forgot that was in the bag. And like, it's just, it's just there. And I finally just put it down. And I said, I sent an email a couple days ago. It's a long story, which I'm trying to simplify. You know what? I'm just going to let it go. It's, it's gone. And um, one of my friends that was there with me said, T, you know, I really want to mark this moment for you. And I want to give you something special to just say, like, you let it go. And here's to new beginnings. And she had um, had a ring made for me. And, and um, this past Monday was a very challenging day for me for a lot of reasons. It had a lot of meaning in it for um for a lot of reasons um, over the years. And I woke up and I was like, okay, here I am on this day. And this day is, um, you know, I'm gonna move through it. And if I have to cry, I cry. And if I have to, you know, do whatever, I'll do whatever. And and I wake up and I, and I, I get a message that there's a box downstairs and this ring had arrived and it had this message of wholeness in it and the idea of, of, of letting go to recreate and all that. And I was like, wow, what a day for this to show up on. I had no idea when it was coming. And I kind of laughed and I went and sat on my harmonium, which is how I connect and just said, thank you. And, you know, okay. And I'll let it, let it go. And an hour later, the front desk calls and buzzes up and they said, we have a box down here and they brought it up and it was my luggage. Cause you surrendered. I didn't even know where it was. Yeah. I mean, it was gone and it all came on this day 
And then this symbol of letting go and then the bag showed up an hour later. And then a friend of mine who I'd had a really hard break with um, wrote me about 30 minutes later and we connected that afternoon and had a beautiful meeting. And like the whole day that was one that I was just going to have my head down and try to move through with some grace ended up having this like really crazy, you can't make this kind of stuff up story. So, you know, beautiful interesting story of letting go. Yeah. What's your favorite prayer? Um, so I work with a divine channel, um, whose name is Carissa. She channels Yeshua and she gave me, um, a prostration prayer that Yeshua had given to her uh, and told me to use it on the platform. Um, and it, it goes like this and I use it every day before class and at night and it's, uh, your worth is equal to mine beloved and my worth is equal to yours. For those who blame or I have blamed, your worth is equal to mine and my worth is equal to yours. For those who shame or I have shamed, your worth is equal to mine and my worth is equal to yours. For those who fail or I have failed, your worth is equal to mine and my worth is equal to yours. For those who guilt or I have guilted, your worth is equal to mine and my worth is equal to yours. For you are the beloved and so am I, and we are one in divine faith, divine love, divine magic. Om Namah Yeshua. So that's my favorite. Yeah. Beautiful. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? The answer is in you. Yeah. Yeah. What's your greatest hope for society today? Wow. I mean, I just get so many feelings through my body when I say that, you know, I hope that we can learn to grieve well so we can come together instead of shaming and blaming, you know, and I believe that if we really do individually do this inside work in ourselves and be okay with being wrong and making amends and, you know, this kind of larger thing that feels esoteric, but is actually so simple day by day, day by day, that we can at least move, you know, the, some of these old structures that were started from the imbalances in the mind that have been around for, you know, centuries, we can at least start to move them. You know, I don't think that we're going to make, you know, massive leaps along uh, at least the time that I'm alive. But um, I do think we can start to move some of the things that were created from the ego imbalances of the mind into understanding how to hold space for one another's own embodiment of their own soul and essence, you know. And uh, it's hard to simplify that, that answer, you know. What is a life of greatness to you? Wow, a life of greatness. It's really just, I guess, let's simplify it down. Learning to enjoy each moment as it comes, you know? Mm. The good, the bad. I mean, there is no no grief if there was not love. Mm. And there are no moments of love or grief without void periods and unknown, right? So if you can just stay present in each one of them and allow yourself to be with it, you know, uh, life actually becomes somewhat, you know, more, I don't even want to use the word enjoyable, but easier. (laughs) It's easier to be, (laughs) you know. Taryn Toomey, thank you for 
the most beautiful conversation today. Thank you for the class. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I am so very grateful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Speak soon. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.